Amen. Today's scripture lesson comes from the first chapter of Ephesians, verses 15 through 19a. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. It wasn't so many days ago that we gathered out in front of this sanctuary out there under the beautiful elm trees. I guess there are about 700 people. And we had the service, we called it prayer and action in which we had a number of ministers of our area um, pull us together in prayer that we would be called forward to living into a new day with um, peace, with justice for all persons. Undoubtedly, those issues are still out in front of us and challenging us as a church and we'll continue to do so. But there's another uh, issue. We're about three months in now to what's been called a season of the pandemic. And as we wrestled with this as a staff, we said maybe this is time for us to take a look at where are we as a people, where are we as a church, what are we feeling and what are we facing? And I think it was uh, very wise that um, Luke had the idea, Let's let's, let the congregation tell us a little bit and we put it out there and we got some responses didn't yeah i first of all just thank you to everybody we put out a question on tuesday and we've had somewhere between 80 and 100 responses and uh the question was this if you hadn't had a chance to see it uh, as we were living through the covid pandemic in just a few words how are you feeling if you guys are okay i'd like to just we got about 80 to 100 responses. I'm not going to read all of them, but, but the depth of response. I, I'm so grateful to how people responded. So here's just some, some responses. My faith has kept me centered. Fine. Restless, happy to be home. Decision fatigue. Isolated and impatient. Okay, but missing seeing our family. Resigned to the new normal, paying attention to keeping safe, tired of all the changing rules. It's a roller coaster. Great. I'm taking it one hour at a time. Frustrated. My mom is in a nursing home and I can't visit her and help her out. Yeah. Okay, today. Blessed for friends and enjoy the many outdoor opportunities in our area. Yearning for social interaction. Blessed to have my family near me. 
I want to hug my mom. Hmm. Worn down, anxious, uncertain, some good, some less so. Adaptable, fortunate, sad for my eight-year-old. I've kept up my exercising, walking with upbeat music. The birds have helped me keep, and the sound of birds have helped kept me emotionally stable. I've learned patience. Also, Lee Young's Bible study on Zoom has been <laughs> uplifting during COVID. Shout out to Lee Young. Ready to shop. <laughs> Unsteady, centered, unsure. And then this disclaimer came after that one. I realize some of these feelings contradict each other. Truly blessed. One person uh, observed too small of a box for the, for, the, uh, <laughs> for the survey question. But I'm struggling, sad, overwhelmed. The craziness of all this is upsetting. Well cared for for myself, but very concerned about the marginalized who are bearing the brunt and not, and not well cared for in our society. One person responded, thanks for asking. I'm still quarantined for the most part. I'm over it though, in quotation marks. <laughs> Meditation and walking keep me sane. Disappointed, bored, well and blessed. Disconnected, resigned, missing my former activities, doing well. A new granddaughter has been a silver lining. This one struck me. Vulnerable and disposable. Missing regular routines. Bored and not okay with not going to church. <laughs> not being able to touch or experience comfort in the usual ways while grieving is an anguish I will never forget. I miss giving and receiving hugs. <laughs> Fine but anxious for others. And just a couple more. Health, healthy and connected via Zoom. I feel good, but a bit stressed at work trying to plan how the kids will be returning to school, if they will be returning to school in August. Lonely and at the same time concerned about reopening. Blessed with the love of friends, family, and church. Good. Bored with isolation. Great. But I miss hugging my friends most of all. There's a lot there. Yeah, there is a lot there. You know, every one of those had some power and poignancy to them. One that I got sort of hung on to was the the one about trying to plan. Mm. It, it caused me to think about how, and I don't know how this relates to everybody's experience, but I suspect we've all gone through this. That one day we were sending our kids to school, getting our haircuts, you know, going to doctor's appointments. Um, remember the days when we used to work from work? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then abruptly, that just came to a, a grinding halt. And, you know, it just caused me to think about how, how so much of our life is anchored in that sense of planning and anticipation and how we, nothing we could have done could we have anticipated and planned for, for the way that life got so thoroughly disrupted. Yeah, I like what you said, not just about the we weren't prepared for it, but now our, our sense of planning has been taken away because we don't really know what's around the corner. And don't you think, Lynn, as human beings, we like to have a sense of something out there calling us forward? You know? Yeah, it's not just the routines, which I think are a bedrock to our daily existence, but just the idea that something 
that we know calls us into the next moment, into the next day, into the next week, and to have that so thoroughly disrupted, I think, was something none of us were prepared for. I I listened to the list. I guess this is the third or fourth time that I've I've heard the list and looked at it. I was trying to listen for some underlying themes, and one thing that came to me was there's a, a tiredness. And that's one reason we wanted to do this today. We've been at it now for about three months. And I think when it first came upon us, we felt the stimulation of, okay, um, this is a new day, haven't been here before, I'm challenged by it. But after you've been challenged for three months, there can be a tiredness. Some people, I think, found their life um, almost overstimulated. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we felt that as a staff. All of a sudden we were trying to figure out how to do church in a new way. Some people have been understimulated because the very purposefulness of their life for a while has been taken away. Mm-hmm. But play both of those out for three months and people get tired. I will sometimes have this conversation with people. I'll be talking to them and they don't look like they're in a real good place. And I'll say, are you all right? Are you okay? And they go, oh, hey, I'm fine. I'm just tired. <laughs> <laughs> like being tired doesn't count. Right. Now, you know, if I've been working in the garden for a couple of hours and get tired, that's, that's a good tired. I've, I've accomplished something. I've worked hard. I sweated. I'm tired. But there's a bone deep, soul weary tiredness that when I get there, I'm not the same person. I'm different. You know, can I add to something to yeah. that, Rob? That it, it strikes me that that bone weary tiredness, um, currently is being made worse by the fact that we don't know that there's a clear end in sight. You know, I think most of us can endure all sorts of suffering, particularly if we know that there's an end point. Mm. But here, that end point is so unclear that I think it's just made the, the moment even more exhausting. Well said. You know, um, living with these responses this week, um, and seeing them come in, I read maybe a third of the actual responses, but the reason I only read about a third was because of how similar some of the responses were. Uh, a lot of folks talking about isolation and, and being tired and planning and uh, just resigned. And, and one of the things that I saw in that and that we began to see in that is that um, there is this shared kind of misery or shared heaviness mm-hmm. that we're all experiencing. Now, I want to be clear about some things. One is there are people that have lost their lives and there are loved ones that are dealing with that kind of shared heaviness that's different. There are folks that have lost all of their livelihood and don't know how how they're going to get the next meal, and that's a different kind of shared heaviness. And all of us are paying attention to death tolls that we see every day. Waking up to that. Waking up to that on the news. Yeah. Uh, how many infections are there going to be in our state or states that border us or states where our families live? And you start putting faces and names to all that. And it's, and it's, a, it's a shared heaviness, a shared misery. Um, it's pretty unique, honestly, in human history that the entirety of a, of a group of people could have that. And it's, and it's hard. It's, it's big. It's heavy. It's deep. Yeah. A word that kept coming up to me also, Luke, is a shared anxiety. Yeah. I mean, even people that would say they've been blessed have had moments of being. Mm-hmm. But that word anxiety, I think we can trip over sometimes and trying to help us unpack that 
a little bit because we use that too loosely sometimes. Well, or, you know, one, one thought that comes to mind, Rob, is that let, let's begin by differentiating between, you know, I, I think of anxiety as a condition, often even with genetic influence. You know, these are people who suffer in a very um, intense way, but, but, but I think what we're talking about, especially when we go to the domain of shared misery, we're, we're talking about a, a different kind of anxiety than what we might go to the doctor for. This is a kind of existential anxiety, you know, and, um, and it also makes me think about what, what, is it, what are the underpinnings of what leads us to that kind of anxious state? And it occurs to me that one of the obvious ones is the fear that, that we're mortal, that we might die, and that's certainly been brought to the fore. I think the other two elements that come to my mind are, you know, we need our lives to have meaning. And it may be that this moment is giving us a redefinition of, of what it means mm -hmm. to have meaning in our lives, especially when we throw in there some of the tensions that have arisen about racism in, in this country. And then I guess the last one is, and this is an odd thing, but I think of existential anxiety as having its roots as well in that freedom of choice. That, you know, we have a choice of how we live. And while that sounds on the surface to be real inviting, it's also a heavy burden. So people out there that are listening right now could be taking kind of their you know, emotional <laughs> pulse a little bit, thinking, mm -hmm. What's, where am I in that spectrum of anxiety? Would you say that there's, when you talk about existential anxiety, that that's not such a bad place for people to be <laughs> at times? <laughs> oh, I, might, I might go a step further and say that, you know, especially in times like these, if you have the least capacity for self-examination and self-reflection, and you aren't experiencing some degree of existential anxiety, you, you might need to take your literal pulse, make sure you're not dead. You know? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's got to make us feel at least a little bit better, right? I mean, to yeah. know that it's a part of We're the all human, experiencing human it. experience. Uh, one last area that from the, the, this and the things we've talked about that I'd like for us to reflect on just for a minute, Lynn, is um, this idea of social isolation. Uh, some of it forced and, and required by, for, for safety's sake, and some of it uh, self-enforced and, and self-inflicted because of, of safety or uh, lack of mobility and, and those kinds of things. But, but we were, we've experienced as a society a, a social isolation that's unlike uh, anything, at least in, that we've experienced in modern history. Could you, could you talk a little bit about social isolation and why that's so difficult? You know, Luke, it, it strikes me immediately that it's something easy to ignore, whether it's because we're watching the next, we're binge watching the next Netflix um, episodes or, <laughs> or we're out shopping and doing things in our usual routines. Something that's easy to ignore is that we are thoroughly, as human beings, thoroughly social creatures. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was reminded of um, one of my coworkers at work. Um, She's, she's quite an interesting character. If you were to know her, you'd know that she shows her emotions um, and she has very limited ability to, to hide them. And as a consequence, when she's feeling frustration or disdain or, or irritation, it shows. So during this period of time where we've been all masked, I've, I've been kind of struck by the fact that once she put on the mask, um, her eyes, are, they have this sweetness to them, and, and she is a wonderful provider, a, a great caregiver. Um, and with her eyes exposed, but her face covered, 
the response I've seen from her patients and from, <laughs> from even her coworkers has been dramatically different. And I think it tells us how much we rely on that social experience of, you know, I know who I am in part when I look into the face of another and I can see that they look at me and they recognize me. In fact, I've told her that when the pandemic clears, I, I was going to suggest that she continue wearing her mask because <laughs> she gets such a better response. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. One of the things we've talked about, you've t you shared this with this story this week when we were preparing, but for one of the first things I heard this time I knew was even in isolation or social isolation or experiencing each other differently, we as humans are learning how to interact in new ways. Mm. We're learning how to know each other in new ways. That's fascinating. Even if only by Even looking in each other's, each other's eyes. eyes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one question that's not on here, and I've got a couple of these. I, I, we prepared, Lynn, that, <laughs> that I do this from time to time, is um, you all have been able to live with these responses for a couple of days. And, and I know, Rob, you're going to get ready to shift us to, a, to thinking about forward and um, hope, but I, I'm wondering if you all don't mind being a little vulnerable, and, I'll, and I will too. Uh, when you read these, what, what resonated with you, kind of what you're feeling and, and, and where you are in this experience? I felt connection. Uh, I felt so many of the things that were named. I've, I've had some moments in many of those emotional states, and I felt a little bit of, um, I don't know, I felt built up a little bit. Yeah, uh, I felt we, we've I have really missed I'm looking out here at this empty beautiful <laughs> sanctuary and missing people people we love and we worship with and we work side by side but just to hear folks honestly share their feelings that I felt some connection with and know that these are people that love me and that I love I, I don't know that, yeah. that was a good experience yeah you know for me Luke, one of the one of the things that I appreciated since you shared these um, responses initially was I have had this sense, particularly since the two of you invited me to participate, that I should have some summary notion of what in the heck are we going to say about this moment. And what I greatly appreciated about the variety of responses was to know that oh, I'm not the only one who has no clue how I'll put this all together. I love that one especially about, I know these sound paradoxical or Right, the, I, I said two different things, yeah. I realize that some of these feelings... But it almost gave me permission. It's okay other. that I don't have it figured out yet. You're a bundle of contradictions Indeed. <laughs> I think, there, I, I, like you, Rob, I really appreciated the connection that, that I felt through hearing the answers and not being alone. Uh, but one that really struck me, and it, and it hit me again, uh, this morning was this idea of decision fatigue. So every, whether you go to the grocery store or do I get my hair cut? No, so far. Uh, you know, like, the, the, the we, the, what do we do? And every decision um, feels just a little more important. But then one of the things I reflected on is how many decisions am I making unintentionally in my life? And how is this helping to remind, how is these responses help remind me of, of the importance of intentionality? Anyway, well, one thing to be sure about this list, when I heard it, and I've heard it four times, I would not find myself arguing with any of the responses. No. They may not have been exactly mine, but they're real. Feelings are honest. Uh, we can't control our feelings any more than we can control, control a yawn or a sneeze. But one thing is for sure, no matter where you're at on those spectrum of, that spectrum of feelings, 
we're all having this experience mm -hmm. of something really different. Mm -hmm. It's a new day. But here's where we want to go now. These seasons do come into our life. And a lot of us have had seasons more in an individual sense where our lives have been kind of uh, knocked off course by grief or sadness or difficulty. But through it all, we believe that there is this thread of hope it's a part of our faith, and that's where we want to go now. Um, we're not going to say that what everything we've said in, in these first 10 minutes or so are not true, but also we gather here as a people of hope. That's what we do every week. It's, it's true and. True and, yeah. yeah. Can, I, can I play off of that for just a moment? Sure. Um, um, this past week I had the chance to listen to a podcast, and I'm not certain it was the title, but um, it was certainly the theme of it. It was titled um, Apocalyptic Hope. And it, it got me thinking about the, the strange alchemy that we have in language when we put two words together <laughs> like that that you wouldn't immediately think belong together. You know, I think of apocalypse, and so I did a little bit of study on it, and apparently, you guys correct me, you the scholars <laughs> of the Bible correct me, but, you know, apocalypse comes from a conflation of two words in the Greek, one that the apo, that um, means the, um, the uncover, well, I guess the, the, the conflation of the two means the uncovering of something. The, um, and, and it didn't even occur to me until we thought about this that even the book of Revelations up until not too long ago was titled the apocalypse of John or the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. In other words, the revelation of something. And, and so it got me thinking about that combination of the word apocalypse and hope. And how do we find hope in the midst of, because this has been a kind of a pop, an apocalyptic moment for us. Mm -hmm. We've seen death in numbers we would have never anticipated and disruption. Um, and yet, is there hope that gets uncovered yeah. in the midst of that revelation? I think you hear some strains of that echoes of that in Paul's words, don't you, from Ephesians? Yeah, so the scripture that we chose this week comes from the book of Ephesians, and um, in particular, uh, Paul's letters begin with prayers, and prayers for the group of people that he's writing the letters to, and and this this prayer has this this line, and, and it's, a, it's a prayer for, for folks that were... Um, dealing with enmity in their, in their group, in the place where they live. They were dealing with discord because of uh, where people were from and who could be in and who could be out. And, and it's so appropriate for, for maybe what we're dealing with as a society right now, both uh, with the COVID pandemic and with racism. But he says this, that I, this is in the middle of the verse that I just thought was so wonderful. May the Father of glory give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened you may know what is the hope to what he has called you and that enlightened the eyes may the eyes of your heart be enlightened was a phrase that just yeah, jumped the, all over. the three of us the first time we read that together that phrase just jumped off the page. It was like an aha. Like, yeah. yeah. And I've, I've always felt that one of the beautiful serendipities of faith is that it invites us to take a second look 
believing if we have to look more than once to see the, all there is to see and try to look the second time, not just with the head, but with the heart, um, you begin to see your way to these snippets, these sprigs, these aromas, these intimations that I think if you piece them together, the word that comes out is hope. And I tried to play back in my mind some of those little sprigs that I experienced and I've pieced together with some other ones. So it wasn't too many weeks ago here that we put out this, I think Ann did during the announcements that we needed to keep the Emma food program going during the summer and we would not have the support of the bus systems or the staff and faculty. So now volunteers from places like Central were gonna have to do that. I thought, oh my, we're still pretty early on and are people ready to make those kind of moves to get that far outside themselves? And Ann told me that when she went home Sunday after this service, within two hours, she had more names that she could handle. And just that moment, I said, okay, Rob, hang on to that. There's a sprig of hope. Yeah. yeah. Luke, if I can respond to that phrase, the eyes of our, our heart, um, it, it called to mind for me something that maybe is widely known, but just in case it isn't, I thought I would share that it turns out there's been an abundance of research on this, that if two people, especially if you're in a connection already, a romantic one even more, two people gaze into each other's eyes, we have these physiologic responses where our pupils dilate and twitch, and those come into perfect synteny. Or if you, or if you have couples who are in a romantic connection and they touch, their heartbeats come back into, into some connection. And so that idea of the eyes of the heart and to maybe see with our hearts instead of with our eyes. Uh, Rob asked about, you know, um, sprigs of hope. So if, if I could, I'd love to share one that, yeah, that overwhelmed me. So I work at a, at a hospital in which in the early weeks of the pandemic, like a lot of facilities around the state and around the country, we were unsure about whether we would have a supply of personal protective equipment. And we're trying to scramble to think about how we would, um, in the event that we had somebody who was COVID positive, in our hospital, we had already set up an isolation unit, but what would we do? How would we protect the people who had to uh, care for that individual? And so among other things, we bought a device called a PAPR. It's just a hood that goes over your head and mm -hmm. allows air to be circulated. And when they arrived, they came with, without chargers that worked. And so here we had just spent $2,000 of taxpayer money on something that was useless to us. And somebody, and I don't know all the details of it, but somebody had the, the bright idea to post on some chat site or something the fact that we are in this dilemma. And within 24 hours, somebody stepped forward who had these kind of devices and sent us two chargers that I think total cost was just under $1,000. Um, and then commented on the fact that 10 years earlier, they had been through the hospital where I work um, with a substance abuse problem and that they were so indebted for the, to the people who had cared for him and had restored his life that this was some small way of giving back um, to, the, to the system. And I have to say that, you know, in the midst of scrambling to try and figure out how are we going to protect our employees and things, had I not paid attention, I might have missed this extraordinary moment where somebody just willingly gave to us and that it was the byproduct of people who had given before and that I'm part of a grand story that mm. humbles me. One of the, the sprigs of hope for me has been uh, 
a reorientation of this idea of time. So, so I mean, I've heard myself saying, I've heard of it, you know, I just don't have enough time. Or uh, in, in response to this pandemic, I feel like I have more time. And Rob and I were sitting together talking about this today, and it just hit me. I'm sure somebody else is, I'm not the first person to say it, but we have the same amount of time, right? Like, it's, it's not that there's more or less time before, but it's, uh, on one hand, how we're forced, been forced to use time. But what if that's an opportunity to reevaluate how we intentionally participate in the time that's been given us? Oh, oh. And... Um, that for me has just been very freeing. It's, and, and I know that to even take a step back and think about that as a, as a gift and the, the time we are given is a gift. And so often in my life, I've not looked at time that way. It's when's the next appointment? My watch is going off. It's telling me I'm late. I'm supposed to be at the thing. And so I've been very thankful and thinking about it and very hopeful that at the very least, what I, one thing that I might learn during this pandemic is how I will intentionally, more intentionally approach time, both now, in the midst of it, and after. Um, The other thing that I I mentioned this morning uh, that I hadn't heard in the podcast that we all listened to is that I'm so thankful for the shared adaptability of humanity. That's something that Rob Bell pointed out in the podcast. So there's a shared misery and a shared heaviness that we're all experiencing. And doesn't it give you hope that, yeah. imagine if, if humanity can pivot on a dime and make so many changes. <laughs> the next time somebody tries to tell me, oh, that's not possible, people don't change, I'm going to remind them, oh, yeah, it is. Look at what, look at what happened. We fed children in yeah. a matter of less than 24 hours or two yeah. days. Yeah. It is hopeful that we, um, we're still left with choice, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I hear you saying yeah. in that, Luke. That, um, contrary to popular opinion, maybe reality isn't what happens to us. It's what we make out of what happens to us. Mm-hmm. And we have this adaptability, mm-hmm. this, this power to, to change and to look with the eyes of the heart and see some things and do some things we haven't done before. So one more question that's not in our notes that uh, I wanted to throw out. I, so this whole passage from that we've read today from Ephesians is a prayer and and like what somebody you guys are gonna say your box isn't big enough because I'm gonna do the same thing I did in the question in just a few words what would be your prayer for Central and for Asheville thinking about this sermon this topic this experience we're having what would be your prayer you know for me Luke my prayer is that I, I think this pandemic and the things happening in the culture have awakened something, and, mm-hmm. and I would pray that we don't go back to sleep. Mm. Hmm. Wow. I think I'm going to pray that if we take those intimations and these little glimmers and we put them together, um, this will become a ruthless trust in God that mm. beneath the surface agitation and the unsettledness that there is someone it's filled with peace and power and love and I just undreamed of creativity and that God is always at work. Just to tr- I, I pray that we would have a, just a deep-seated trust in that. I, I am, um, something Lynn said today, just, it might be a prayer of thankfulness. 
of the relentless movement of humanity to be connected. Uh, the, the fact that your, your coworker, you, can, you see her expressions and her eyes and that we are learning new ways to, and, and old new ways to connect. And I am, I, it'd be a prayer of thankfulness for um, being created in, a, in the image of a relational God that calls us to, to relationship. And that means a lot of the things that we've talked about today, adaptability and change and hope. And uh, so, yeah, that'd be it. Indeed. Well, friends, in the word of the old preacher, we're bringing it into the station now. <laughs> <laughs> and let's not forget what a power hope is. People say, oh, you know, where there's, um, there's life, there's hope. What if it's just as true um, where there's hope, there's life? Mm. There's this great story that comes from Rabbi Hugo Grin out of his life. So he became one of the um, most renowned rabbis in Great Britain. Before that, though, he lived with his parents um, in, in Germany. They survived uh, Auschwitz, and before that, they had to live, live in hiding. And there were times of real social economic deprivation. And he said, our father would never let us stop worshiping, no matter we always have Sabbath and we have always the festival days and we're without very much at all. And he says he can remember his father taking a slab of butter and taking a string and putting it into that slab and lighting it for the Shabbat candle. And, and Hugo was about 10 or 11 and he got mad at his father. He said, um, Father, that's the last butter we have. And his father just smiles at Hugo and he says, without food, we can live for weeks, but we cannot live for a minute without hope. Mm-hmm. It's our prayer that we might have hope. A hope that comes from something deeper than we can ever know. With um, the eyes of the heart. Mm. May that be our benediction, friend. If you go through this week, may you look not just once, but twice at the world around you and look at with the eyes of the heart. And may you sense the very hope of God and Jesus Christ from which we are never separated. Amen.